Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 175 for the 26th of November, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with security expert Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Oh, well, thank you for such a majestic introduction, Chester. Well, uh, I think after all this time, uh, if the Chat Chat listeners aren't aware of your expertise, uh, I, I felt compelled to inform them. No pressure on me for this week, then. Yeah, no, no problem at all, right? Uh, but the, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty quiet week here in North America from the standpoint of uh, people's business lives, and that we're leading into the American Thanksgiving holiday. Unless you're a retailer, Chester, then I suspect you're getting ready for the busiest weekend in the world. Well, that's true. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that you were participating in a, uh, a Twitter tweet up with the Center for Internet Security, uh, talking through some of the risks, uh, both of the Black Friday sales and the Cyber Monday shopping deals that are very commonly offered, uh, especially here in North America, but I think even somewhat around the world now. But of course, that also introduces risk to consumers to a degree because the scammers never really miss an opportunity, do they? No, I would suggest that if there aren't things that you should do only on Cyber Monday, you know, what, what you do for Cyber Monday to bolster your security, boost your online safety, will help you for the rest of the year. I think to a degree, we might be tricked into falling for them a little more easily at this time of year, because some of the sales being offered by the big box retailers, say, in the United States, are sort of too good to be true. Quantities may be limited to five, but there are televisions being sold for $30, right? And, and so that kind of lures us to believe maybe I'll be the lucky winner, right? Yes, and I guess this is also a great time for any scammer who wants to tug at your guilt strings or your heart strings, whatever you want to call them, with some kind of bogus charity request. You know, tis the season to be generous, open your wallet. And of course, I guess the same thing for uh, bogus courier delivery emails. Just the time you think, I was actually expecting something from DHL just today. I wonder if that's it. I'd better have a look. So yes, it is perhaps easier to get tripped up at this time of year. So uh, as carpenters say, measure twice, cut once. And for folks who want more details, uh, I recommend reading the story by our, our colleague, uh, John Zorabedian. Five tips up there, very useful stuff. And what I guess what I'm finding interesting is we're coming up on the year anniversary of the famous Target breach now, and that sort of uh, began around the, this time of year in 2013, uh, the, the Black Friday, Cyber Monday shopping time. And folks need to remember that uh, the cost of these things to their business, if they're processing credit cards, can be enormous. There was some additional news this week about Home Depot, not exactly your normal uh, Cyber Monday shopping destination. But the fact that there were 44 additional lawsuits now filed against them as a result of their breach. So even, you know, I saw some folks going, oh, you know, they got off for only $65 million for losing over 100 million records of data. You know, that's surprising. I mean, it's, it's surprisingly low. And I think it's fair to say it's sort of the beginning, right? That $65 million, uh, is going to be much, much higher if it only includes their legal fees, because uh, there will be lawsuits, and, and this is not ending with just the initial cost to the, to the organization. In other words, they were the victim of a crime. Let's be quite honest there, no matter how much they could have done to avoid it. But their victimization is sort of unfortunately passed on to their customers, and uh, with it, liability and cost. Well, and, and some of this comes back to PCI DSS compliance. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. And that there were a lot of accusations against the organization that certified Target was PCI compliant. Uh, in this case, it's looking like the company in the Home Depot case may not say that Home Depot was in fact compliant. Um, and that's going to lead to even more potential costs for the company because I think a lot of the banks are uh, hesitant to perhaps sue the victim in this case, as you put it, if they were in compliance with the standards that the banks have themselves imposed on the organization. But if it turns out uh, that PCI you know, rules were not being followed, which is sort of the bank's way of saying you're doing the right thing, then that could result in even greater losses for an organization like Home Depot. Yes, and the more this drags on, the worse the look as well, and the less likely people are to trust them in future. You know, even though chip and pin is coming and this kind of thing you'd imagine should be much harder for the crooks next year, at least simply scraping credit card numbers, magstripe data out of RAM on an infected cash register should get harder and harder. But then, of course, the, the reason the crooks went for RAM scraping is because of PCI DSS, isn't it? That said, thou shalt not store this stuff unencrypted on disk, but unfortunately didn't say anything about storing it encrypted in memory, which simply caused the crooks to go, great, we'll look somewhere else then. So I don't doubt that they'll find a way to fill the void, uh, even when chip and pin comes to the US. But having said that, bring it on. Yeah, I think we'll see the scale of these types of attacks uh, be much more limited in the case of EMV or chip and pin technology. Personally, my card was involved in the Home Depot incident during the affected time period. I had shopped with these self-checkout lanes at a Canadian Home Depot store. Uh, but to my knowledge, no fraud occurred on my card. My card was not replaced because I did use the chip technology at that checkout. Uh, in the end, I think that chip certainly did protect me in this case. Now, speaking of crime stuff, we always talk cover a bit of crime. I mean, the crime that I think is occurring most frequently to Naked Security readers, uh, certainly hearing from our readers on our tips, emails, and things at Sophos, uh, we hear a ton about ransomware, crypto locker, crypto wall, crypto fence, um, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was quite fun to do a podcast with you on this to kind of hopefully dispel some of the myths. Yes, dealing with ransomware, we called it. And uh, we didn't just, of course, talk about crypto ransomware, the stuff that scrambles your files and leaves your computer standing. Uh, we also covered screen locking malware, screen locking ransomware, which leaves all your files intact, but uh, locks you out of your computer. And even though that is no longer the massive threat it used to be in the good old Reviton days, neither encrypting ransomware nor screen locking ransomware ever really went away on Windows. And of course, it also began to make an appearance on the Android platform as well. So uh, it's very much still a clear and present danger. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, over 2,500 people in the first day of putting the podcast online have already listened. So if you've got questions or would like to learn more about CryptoLocker and ransomware and screen lockers and all of this kind of stuff, uh, head on over to soundcloud.com slash security and look for the Sophos Techno logo. I'll move on to our next story, which is something I've been waiting to hear for a very long time. It's called Google Contributor. Oh, you mean pay not to play? Is that how you describe it? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, the idea that rather than selling me as the product for using your free service, as uh, it's become very famous in the 
case of describing to people sort of how Facebook works, right? You, you put in all your information and they're basically selling you to their advertisers. And, you know, I'm always uncomfortable with that. And uh, in, in my wife uh, uses Facebook and, you know, times in the past she said, well, why don't you join? It's so easy to keep in touch with our old friends. And, and I said, well, I don't really like the bargain that's on the table, right? I feel like, the, you know, I'm paying for this service with a certain amount of my privacy. And why can't I just write a check to Facebook? Why can't I subscribe? for $5 a month and have them stop selling my information, right? Like allow me to say, I understand it costs you money to provide me this service. In fact, I'm willing to pay for it. And Facebook hasn't done that, but it looks like Google's heading that direction. I think that's pretty interesting. I have to say, I'm afraid, Chester, uh, yes and no. Because I think the problem is that they're not saying, okay, we'll have a separate service you can join, which is kind of like Google's regular search engine, except there are no ads. It's just that there are some sites that I believe are going to opt in to a program where when the ads get presented to you, in other words, Google will still know that they should show you that particular ad. They won't, it won't actually appear. It'll be blocked out because you're paying this fee. But Google still has to track you to know not to show you the ads when you visit those sites. So they'll still know what ads you should get as far as I can see. It's just that in some special cases that you've paid for, you won't see them. Uh, And I guess that also raises the question, how will they keep track of you to know not to send you the ads? If you clear your cookies every time you exit your browser, for example, like you and I do, it's an obvious, simple, and I would almost say necessary precaution these days, then next time you go wandering in, then those sites aren't going to know that it's you and that you're going to get the ads again. I mean, this, this is a perennial problem. Companies like DoubleClick that say, oh, if you don't want to be tracked online, set this cookie so that we know to not track you as you're going around. And I'm like, you're, so basically you're saying in order for me to not identify you, wear this ID tag. Uh, we were chatting about this a, a day or so ago, weren't we? And we, we were remembering Google's infamous underscore no map, the string that you could put at the end of your SSID on your access point, Wi-Fi access point. And then they'd know once they'd captured your data that they weren't supposed to capture it. Uh, I, I think as a community service, we should remind WordPress owners that it's time to make sure you get your updates. Um, of course, it's a slightly more severe flaw if you're running the three dot series of WordPress as opposed to four. Um, I think if you're running three dot series, it already suggests that you're really dragging your feet, though. I mean. Uh, I run a WordPress blog that's not part of uh, the Sophos network, and it it immediately started pestering me about 4 when it was released quite a while ago, and it was very insistent that I click the button and move everything to 4, and I was a little hesitant because I had some plugins and things, and I thought, oh, what if they break? And, uh, you know, one weekend I I daringly took the plunge and clicked the button, and absolutely nothing bad happened. <laughs> and now that I'm on for, of course, the the latest update that was released this week automatically applied to my blog. I got an email just saying, hey, you've been updated to 4.0.1. Congratulations. You're safe from the following vulnerabilities. So, you know, I love the fact that I don't have to do anything because I'm a pretty busy guy. And hopefully most of our listeners are following along that path as well. But I guess if they are running 3.0, there's some pretty high risk there, isn't there? Yes, my understanding is that there's a cross-site scripting vulnerability which actually lets a remote anonymous user effectively pwn the site. So it sounds pretty dangerous. Fortunately, that's privately disclosed, so I don't believe there's an attack in the wild. I guess 
This revisits for people who use content management systems, website management system, blogging platforms, etc. This whole specter of automatic updates, because if you remember recently, there was a really serious uh, hole in Drupal. And when we suggested Drupal should Im implement automatic updates as well, loads of people came out and said, absolutely. But there were a few people going, no, 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 that's absolutely unacceptable. You couldn't possibly have that in a corporate environment. It just would be no good at all. And it's a difficult balancing act when it's not just your computer that you're patching, but is in fact something that's serving up content to potentially millions of people. So uh, going into our last story, we have, um, I guess, a, a kind of good news, bad news type of situation. Uh, the bad news is that crooks have made off with over $120 million from victims, uh, U.S. dollars. But I guess the good news is the FTC was able to step in and block them again. Uh, some individuals in Florida and New York State were blocked from operating by a court order uh, of the Federal Trade Commission. We, we've seen U.S. government regulatory agencies getting more and more aggressive. And without going into the politics, this is a pretty common thing to occur at the end of a president's term. But I welcome this. I've been waiting for too long to hear about some uh, FTC enforcement action to get out there and protect American consumers. Yes, this is that good old fake support call scam with a little bit of a twist. You know, that's where the guys found out, oh, I'm from Microsoft and you, there's a virus on your computer and it's attacking our servers and you better do something about it or there'll be trouble. And by the way, you know, we can help you and it's going to cost you $300 or whatever. What these guys apparently did, according to the FTC, is they married together fake antivirus and fake support call. So the idea was, once you decided you'd buy a fake antivirus for up to about 50 bucks, except in this case, the activation process said, oh, to activate your program, and I've grudgingly got to say, this is kind of smart thinking by the crooks, phone this toll-free number, and we will activate the software for you. So in other words, they know that they've got you on the hook for 50 bucks. They know that you actually think you're infected objectively and independently because the software said so. And uh, then you phone up and they say, oh, yes, of course, we'll active. Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, no, man, this is much worse than you we thought. And uh, then, you know, they're in an ideal position to sting you for $500 more is apparently what they were asking. And as you say, it must have worked, sadly, because I think there were three companies involved and between them, $120 million. That's a lot of money for nothing. Well, hopefully uh, these guys will uh, be found guilty, but currently they're alleged to have done these things. And uh, when they go to court, uh, I guess the best we can hope for is that the victims get their money back and perhaps there's a little bit of punitive response from the courts as well to discourage others from partaking in these types of activities. And on that note, we'll conclude Software Security Chat Chat 175. I would like to uh, wish our American listeners a happy Thanksgiving and anybody who's uh, doing some, some holiday shopping in the coming Cyber Monday to watch out for scams and stay safe online. For all the latest security news, including tips on online shopping, please visit nakedsecurity.sophist.com. Our podcasts are available on iTunes via RSS, on the TuneIn app, over on player.fm and probably many other of your favorite podcatching applications, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.